National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. Executive Director of NAVA, and uh, for today's podcast, I'm sitting here at the gunnery in a quite a large empty space, which might sound a bit echoey for you, and I'm here with Tess Mondo. Hi, Tess. Hi, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you down. What brings you to Sydney? I'm in Sydney for a range of things, mm. um, primarily for the launch of my new book, which is called Absolute Humidity. Um, which is launching 5pm on Thursday today. Amazing. Um, yeah, so that's the main thing. And then, you know, a few other meetings and seeing some spaces. And it's always great for that interstate networking. Yes, yes. Yeah. People do flock to this place and we also flock to many other places. That's right. um, I was up in um, Queensland recently for Kayaf um, and it's great to catch up with so many people there. Mm. Um, but you have also been up to a great deal um, and Absolute Community is... Um, how does, where does this sit in your practice? Because you've worked um, as a writer and a curator. Mm. I want to have a nice long chat about publishing and, and art publishing and where that is going and mm. what's exciting and what our worries are as mm. well. But tell us about where Absolute Humility sits in the context of everything to date. Yes, <laughs> very good question. And I think that's a good way to start our conversation for sure. Um, well, for me, Absolute Humidity came out of um, a previous project that I had worked on, which was the 11th Shanghai Biennial, Why Not Ask Again, which ran from 2016 to 2000, 2017, where I was one of four, four curatorial collegiates working with the chief curators, Rux Media Collective, both between New Delhi and India and Shanghai and China. I have long admired Rux Media Collective. Uh, such longevity, such such great thinking mm. um, and such, I don't know, rich provocations grounded in a range of different cultural perspectives. That's asking right. Asking questions that already seem both timely and ahead of their time and why has no one asked this yet mm. and sort of political and strongly complex in its aesthetic really admire those guys. Definitely. It was um, a highlight of my practice to yeah. spend a year with them. Also, watching them negotiate the space of being artists while also occupying that institutional curatorial role as well was quite um, a unique experience, sitting in the studio, watching their work sort of move in and out, but then also us talking about literally where the work will sit in the Biennale. So that was great. Um, but to bring it back to your question, I think the Shanghai Biennial um, was a massive project with 92 artists from over 40 different countries with a focus on the global south, which was um, fantastic for me because I guess in my own practice that's um, something I focus on as well in terms of regionality. Um, but what I wanted to do after that was to slow down a little bit. Oh, so important. Always so important. Yes. <laughs> and slow down, I guess, in terms of my own practice, but also in terms of... Um, you know, how can we engage with curatorial practice perhaps in a slower way? Um, so I think that was a really important um, moment for me after the biennial 
is, was doing this. And the way I approached that was thinking about, well, what is curatorial practice primarily? It's about a conversation between an artist and a curator and an artist and an audience. And so that's why Absolute Humidity forms, because it's primarily interviews with artists. Um, so that was essentially the premise and the urgency for myself and my practice, why I wanted to um, pursue that project. And tell us about some of those interviews or some of those artists. Yeah. Um, so conceptually, the book is um, engaging with artists from the Asia-Pacific region. Um, however, the framework of absolute humidity came about as an attempt to sort of circumnavigate the way that the region is often just said it's the Asia-Pacific and left at that. There's no real... Um, you know, insight into the multiplicities present within the Asia-Pacific region. Um, you know, often we see it in institutional shows, it's the Asia-Pacific show and that's sort of it. So I think um, Absolute Humidity as an entry point was a way to sort of, um, I guess, like try to have like a deeper conversation with the region um, without just defining it by the region, if that makes sense. So, and Absolute Humidity also... Um, I feel like it's kind of like an attitude, if you will, that encompasses a range of different things for our times. So things like the environment, the weather, anxiety, um, the Anthropocene, all of these sort of big themes that are coming together, that when we think about them and sort of the feelings surrounding them, it might make us feel sort of sweaty or humid, right? <laughs> so it all sort of connects back to this theme as well. Right, well, I am suitably intrigued. That sounds like a great <laughs> premise, but also just... Yeah, there is such a there is such a richness there, and as you say, there's um, um, the Anthropocene, the environment. But there are things, there are um, issues and problems and, and pressing crises there that That's right. should make us sweaty and nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and I think again, it's um, prioritizing giving voice to the artists because. Um, I'm conscious of myself as a, um, you know, a white woman curator in Australia navigating the space of the Asia-Pacific region. And so for me, um, in this project, it was very important for me not to talk on behalf of regions for people, um, but much more important for me to have interviews with artists where they could um, obviously create their own stories and have complete agency over the words that they are bringing forth. So that was also um, an important consideration. Um, yeah, but some of the conversations themselves, you know, we were talking with... Um, artists from Kathmandu about the 2015 earthquake and oh some of God. the sort of monumental um, community cultural development activities that have been happening post that as well. So um, 30 different conversations there, so lots to dig into. Well, I will look forward to getting my hands on a copy. It's interesting you were just saying about curatorial practice as mm. um, being in essence, um, conversational. It's about creating the framework for conversations, conversations between the curator and the artist, uh, conversations between artists. Often it's, you know, the curator, of course, is, is, is very often bringing artists into conversation with each other for the purpose of an exhibition or a project mm -hmm. for, for the first time. And then, of course, the kinds of conversations that become possible um, through the show, the work, uh, with its audiences and, right. and, and the way that we're um, framed and inspired to, to, to understand the work and engage with it. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, um, um, those, those conversations and the critical and the research and the framing aspects of mm -hmm. curatorial practice um, very much take place in writing. 
mm. um, and the way that curators connect with one another, the way that we continue, I guess, you know, those local and far more global conversations around the evolution of artistic practice. Mm. Um, and then those conversations beyond us in the arts where we talk mm. about critique and um, how we connect the timeliness of the idea of the work mm -hmm. to the public and to the new publics that, that, that it generates. Um, so all that is a sort of a lovely but, um, uh, you know, becoming foreboding sense of um, uh, critical art writing and publishing mm. and that sense of, you know, what is happening, what what is, you know, what are the critical issues and what's the future? Because um, I think a lot of us around the country and around the world are worried about the future of arts publishing. Mm. But equally, we're worried about the future of news media, the future mm. of um, what we've already seen the last few years as a, a big decline in uh, arts journalism and in arts writers mm. employed in those non-arts mm. publications and news outlets that, that connect us to new publics. So how does your work, I guess, um, um, what is a, do you bring a consciousness, I guess, of, of, of that sort of crisis in? Um, and do you feel like you're now in a position of constantly having to counter that? Yes, definitely. And um, such valid points you make about um, the context here in Australia and, um, you know, some of the surrounding flow and effects to um, arts media and then the broader art ecology and then even more so further abroad in how, um, you know, we advocate and are represented, I guess. Um, I think for me personally, to bring it back to my own practice as a curator, I am an independent curator and I see my practice as operating as sort of a mini institution in that I'm not housed within an institution um, at this point in my career, but the way I approach what I do is through that framework. So what that means is um, I approach publishing and writing as very important key parts of my practice. Also exhibitions, of course, which is what we know curators primarily do, um, but also um, lots of invisible work. So advocacy, um, lots of recommending artists for things that isn't necessarily present. And then, of course, you know, business work and doing tax and stuff like that. So in a way, it's very similar to an artist would be. Um, and I just sort of like to frame my practice in that way and explain it in that way so people understand that um, it is a very different role to um, a lot of different curatorial roles. And I'm enjoying it, actually. <laughs> but to talk specifically about um, publishing and the climate, I guess, in Australia, well, um, I was very privileged to work with Nava earlier in the year in Queensland, in Brisbane, um, where we did an event at the Museum of Brisbane, which was called Independent Publishing Now, um, which documentation, I guess, will be available, is available on Nava's website. Um, but some of the conversations coming out of there, I think, connect to what your question were. Um, and it's very much, um, I think, drawing attention to things like um, advocating for fair pay for artists. I mean, writers and artists, of course, always artists, of course, um, but writers, writers. Very important. <laughs> in this conversation. Um, so that was, I guess, the primary aim of that panel. And that's something I continue to do informally through my networks as well. Um, and again, personally, it's probably come about through my own experience of having to do that for myself and then recognising that perhaps this is a broader conversation in context of the climate that you've mentioned. Yeah. 
it's not the, it's not the best sounding climate. No. It's, kind of, it's funny, when you think about the history of the reception of art in Australia mm. following colonisation, but in particular in, um, in the 20th century, mm. um, you know, you can read these um, amazing, quaint, in retrospect stories of artists and architects um, waiting for the various magazines and publications to come from overseas so that, you know, we could see and hopefully in pictures, and more, right. more expensive pictures and later colour pictures or photographs, not just people's drawings, um, to get a sense of the work that was, that was being made um, and for artists to, um, you know, contextualise their work. And, and then, of course, um, uh, the critique of work and, and not just the reception of, of that global practice uh, within Australia, but Australia being such a big country, you know, what mm. was happening at the galleries um, in, in Perth, in Brisbane, um, you know, if you're in Adelaide or, or in, in Hobart or Launceston, you know, like what's, what's going on? And then, of course, with the explosion of the internet, um, we had become so used to a certain ever-present criticality, you know, there's a very different sense mm. of, um, of making that adventure to go and visit a few galleries in a day when you could have a sense of how, how work was being responded to. Mm. And now um, social media makes certain things possible and frustrates certain other things. But what's at stake, um, regardless of how prevalent and possible it is for us to contribute to and access social media. What's at stake when we are losing uh, arts criticism mm. from, um, from those more public focused and, and, and mainstream, for want of a better word, publications? Definitely. Well, I think um, the positive, like you're saying, is that social media has been such a great tool, of course, for us as the arts community to share things, especially in Australia, the distance between cities and also the distance between us and the rest of the world. So it's an amazing positive, but of course, um, the way any economy works is that we go into this binary mo mode where, um, of course, we because this online um, context is going so well, perhaps funding bodies and um, different stakeholders are obviously um, reciprocal to that. and. That is why um, less attention is going to print. And I think generally the trend is that that is, um, of course, disappearing um, across the board, not just the arts industry. Um, but I guess it all comes back to value, right? Like, um, how do we value different things? And I think, um, I think that's why, for me, particularly with this project that I'm doing, which is a, a printed book in this climate, um, it's really important for me to advocate for the different layers involved in the project. So it's almost like you've you've got to put in that such extra work of advocating for your project. So for me, I talk about this project as a curatorial project, as a research project, um, as a social engagement project. Um, so I think you know really building up those critical layers so that. Um, you know, it's not just seen as just a, just a book. And I wish that just a book was enough, but it's not anymore. So I think it's that awareness of um, what is valued and how you can um, contribute to that and edit what you do to suit that tone. That is such a good point. I'm just thinking about what you just said about just a book and, and that not being enough because mm. it's just, you just suddenly 
crystallised in my head a number of different conversations. I've been having the last little while about people also saying these days just an exhibition is not enough mm. or just a, you know, uh, thing is not enough. And there's, like on the one hand, it's just the pressure of, you know, so you're doing this project, but how are you also connecting it into all of these things and these expectations? Mm. And, and you're talking about, um, you know, needing to be a good advocate for it. And ad advocacy... Um, I often describe as, you know, that um, uh, that thing you do when you have a compelling conversation with someone about something that's important to you, and it's so compelling that they um, are themselves compelled to have the conversation again, mm. whether they agree with you or not. And in a sense, that is a kind of um, promoting or marketing or getting something out there because... Um, we're having a public conversation. Mm. But then it's also political in a sense because we are um, expressing our values in a way that we hope and, ex and, and, and um, you know, desire for uh, the other to respond to in some way, that we're mm -hmm. putting something into a, in, into a public space. But is there also, you know, in this age of both media convergence and, you know, and collapse... Um, is there more pressure on artists, on writers and on curators to make the one project be so many different things, like just try and achieve so, so, so much? I think so. Um, I, feel, I feel like that is the case. Um, yeah, I think um, it's also about visibility of the project. So um, an exhibition is great because obviously you have those interpersonal relationships with people physically visiting the exhibition, which is so rich and rewarding and fantastic. Um, but I think it's again about um, acknowledging who your different levels of audience are and then of course um, having those digital or marketing levels of engagement as well with um, the different steps that we might have to take are um, of course very important for engaging different audiences. So yeah, I think there's like an awareness there, a pressure there to obviously um, build things up. And I, I'm just kind of so used to it now um, that I just do it automatically. Um, we just end up being more than one person and more than one yeah. practitioner. It's just more and more that kind of, you know, there's that thing we often hear about how the artist career or the creative career is a portfolio career, mm. that nice word for you're doing 20 things at once. Yeah. Or there's the expression about the gig economy where mm. the whole economy is being powered by creative people doing so much at once. And then, mm. of course, what that belies is the precariousness of labour and the precariat that, that, that is developing, mm. that we're supposed to not have the expectation of um, security or entitlements or, you know... Um, that that a career will develop in a not so much in a in a linear way, but that it will, it will continue to um, grow and strengthen. Mm. Like you know, there's 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 freedoms in that, but there's also a lot of frustration. Definitely, yeah, um, yeah. I think more needs to be done. I think for, um, I guess it depends on the individual practitioner. And for me, I've really have enjoyed the gig economy at this point in my practice, but I totally acknowledge that it's not a sustainable model. And for me, even to exist in the gig economy has required such a level of advocacy on behalf of myself for, you know, um, fair pay and all of these sort of things. So yeah, moving forward from that, you know, it would be excellent to see um, the broader, um, I guess, government, um, you know, um, everyone around sort of think about different ways of making it sustainable um, 
survivable even. Yeah, now there's a good word. I mean, that's absolutely right. If we, you know, seem resigned to the fact that, um, that you know, that, that does become the norm, then we can't then also be resigned to the expectation that we just burden more and more uh, independent artists and writers and curators uh, with the responsibility to champion their own rights. Mm. Um, that it's it's absolutely not a level playing field when someone goes into a negotiation with um, you know a, an, an institution where you're negotiating with someone who is on a full time salary and mm. um, and often the unspoken thing is is a kind of a take it or leave it. Well, you know if you don't accept exposure, the form of payment, or if you don't accept this completely unreasonable fee, mm. then the opportunity will go to someone else. And right. so it's, um, yeah, it's so important that um, that option to work flexibly mm. is, you know, a real and valid one that is supported by industry standards. Definitely. So important, of course. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's interesting, the, you know, the changes that just, you know, we in our lifetimes have seen in contemporary art practice in, in, in publishing and, and, and in curatorial practice. Mm. Um, and it does make me wonder, um, you know, I guess about what, what role do various institutions, so not now individual writers, curators who are always going out there developing projects, mm. you know, a new book like yours, um, or smaller independent projects, um, what role do organisations have to contribute to um, a, uh, a thriving public discussion through publishing, whether that's print or mm. online. And we talk about the role that different organisations have in fostering, you know, the ecology of the arts. And by ecology, we mean that complex, you know, interdependent, interconnected thing where we've got independent artists and big institutions. We've got, um, you know, flexible ways of working and, um, you know, clearly identified rights mm. and standards. We've got... Um, conventional spaces and institutions but also experimental practices and unexpected venues and, and mm. you know all of that in some kind of balance and harmony <laughs> yeah. you know all, all, all that in some kind of you know ongoing melange of change and, and, and generative kind of you know movement mm -hmm. but then it seems that you know sort of central to that uh, and part of the interdependency is those uh, public spaces um, whether they're broadcast whether they're online whether they're in print where we can uh, write critique record ideas and, and mm. exchange ideas and um, uh, recently ish you won the m pavilion art monthly um, writing award mm. which i was um, always yeah really delighted when i saw M Pavilion starting to partner on writing projects because mm. M Pavilion, of course, being uh, a curatorial project exactly about conversations in a new public space that it creates. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's another great institutional intervention. Um, tell us about that. Um, you know, that experience, mm. and then yeah, let's um, let's yeah let's let's think about what's the role of institutions small and large mm. towards publishing of ideas. Definitely. Well, I think that's definitely um, a fantastic case study that you've um, brought forward, um, thinking about institutions like M Pavilion um, that do already have a public and are, I guess, um, temporary in the sense that they're, you know, open for four months and closed for the rest of the year and all of this sort of thing. Um, so I guess levels of engagement are really important there. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it is about fostering an ecology and 
it's about investment as well. If in um, you know other organisations, small to medium sized organisations or bigger organisations, can see that investing in um, some way of fostering critical writing or that sort of discourse is an investment for their own institution. Yes. yes. Then I feel like that will um, flow on naturally and um, be a mutually beneficial um, experience to everyone. That's the thing, isn't it? Sort of seeing the benefit for the immediate organisation as well as more broadly. Mm. Um, I was in a room recently elsewhere in this loud building um, where we're talking about um, what are the key issues in the contemporary arts just in the state of New South Wales. Mm. And people talked about, well, talked about some great things but also talked about a sense of crisis and what that means and crisis being not just that, you know, everything is shit but mm. that there is a certain there is a confluence, a re, you know, problematic confluence of things that because they're all happening together, we can't go on the same way. We need to think differently mm. uh, lest we get to some kind of breaking point. So that, mm. that, that definition of crisis being, you know, quite a problematically dynamic state, yep. the solution of which has to be different to, to what has been done before. Mm. And we talked about how in that current context there are a whole bunch of organisations, some publicly funded, some not, and generally at the small to medium, in fact always at the small to medium end, who are um, inadvertently and without being set up in this way, doing during this time a lot of sector development work. Right. So it's not the work of their organisation, but mm. they are meeting with lots and lots of artists and offering advice mm. and looking at, you know, sector standards and how to implement that mm. or, you know, um, doing that kind of like industry service advice and support around um, informal networks, informal touring networks, um, informal peer support, co-mentoring, leadership development, mm. all the things that are beyond the immediate scope of the organisation, mm. but without which, you know, the arts um, <laughs> could not function or flourish. Um, and so, yeah, they they, every one of us who's involved in something like that, obviously when I say us now, that, that, that's our job, that every one of us, you know, in, in, in the arts who are involved in something like that, we see the benefit to our organisation because um, we're engaged in these critical conversations mm. around what's the purpose and the context and the value of our specific job, not just for our organisation, but for all of the arts in, you know, all of our town or city or for all of Australia. Mm. Um, and I worry that we're going to get to, you know, that crunch time I sort of mentioned at the other end of that crisis where things suddenly are just, you know, oh my God, we're looking around and... It's not just that there isn't arts journalism beyond our, our publications, mm. but that the level and the diversity and the quality of the public conversation around key political, by which I mean civic and public issues, mm. has declined. Yeah. And so I wonder whether are we going to kind of find or experience that crisis as arts organisations um, or are we going to keep finding ways to make sure we are critically contributing to, mm. to public discussions? Definitely. I think I feel like the crisis is upon us, officially. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's here, folks. Sorry. It's here. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's that thing of what level of control do we have? Um, you know, I guess we can advocate a lot for what we do, but also for myself personally, um, I like to focus back on um, 
some things that I can control. Yeah. And so I guess in for me, it's really important to make sure in my projects that I am taking an ethical approach in what I do um, and to think about how I might speak about the arts and speak about what I do to a broader range of people um, that I interact with. So that might be my extended family, that might be my neighbours, that might be, you know, other people that I talk to who aren't necessarily in the art world. So I think it's about thinking about um, that loosely word um, community or ecology and thinking about how can I always be continuing these conversations at an interpersonal level across the board with an um, array of different people. Um, so that's something that I think I can control and something that I try to do as well. So it helps me with the hopelessness of it, I think. Oh, I think that's hugely important. I mean, we that hopelessness that we sometimes feel that it absolutely comes from feeling like we don't have control and yet there is so much that we have got control over, whether it is those, you know, simple... Um, gestures of, of, of having those conversations but I'm also really struck by what you're just saying about you know working ethically because the thing about um, you know I know we've both been in a lot of conversations around self-exploitation which is the other aspect of the precariat where we just you know we all just kind of want to put our heads down and do everything and support all the artists and make all the work um, and then you know we can run ourselves off the ground mm. and, and, and you know sort of burn out and yeah. um, and, and that ethics of what we do and what we choose and what we prioritise mm. is hugely important. And then I think equally as important is making sure that we're really taking the time and the and the breath, uh, you know, the, the, the good breathing of reflecting on that mm. and, and kind of saying, yeah, like that's, I'm making this decision for these reasons. Definitely. And I think that um, is really important to think about that there's always different frameworks and different models for working. If you're a curator, you don't have to feel necessarily pressured to go in into an institutional context um, or you don't have to be pressured to take on the gig economy. But just acknowledging that, um, you know, if you um, have just finished a big project, it's okay to take things slower and do a slower project as well. There's all different frameworks and all different ways of talking about what you do. And I feel like taking that approach rather than thinking there's a right or a wrong way, will really help um, in navigating that territory. Yeah, I like that. I mean, the, the sort of the, the, the critical mass of, of the art, of contemporary art at any time, is all those individual contingent decisions that we're all making. Like, we mm. are all contributing to you know, that, the evolution of that practice and so the choices that you make. Yeah, absolutely no need to be constrained by what you think are those well-worn paths. Mm. So speaking of the well-worn paths, or <laughs> the unconventional, what is next for you? What's next? Well, um, the book is launching, yes. so yay. <laughs> yay! So that's happening right now. Um, so I was privileged to do the Melbourne-based launch last week um, with a range of different partners, including Melbourne Art Fair, um, Buxton Contemporary, and AsiaLink Arts. That was a wonderful experience. Brilliant. Doing the launch here in Sydney this afternoon. And then um, there will be a launch coming up on the 25th of August at the Institute of Modern Art. Oh, excellent. In Brisbane, Brisbane. yes. Yeah. So I did the little East Coast tour for the book. I am doing the East Coast tour. Um, and then following on from that will be um, lots of practical things to do with the book, like distribution and getting it out there and um, press and stuff like that. Um, and in terms of future projects, um, I'm curating an exhibition at Box Copy in November. Oh, cool. um, so keep an eye out for that. And that will be a great moment to be on show because the Asia Pacific Triennale will be opening yes. in Brisbane. So it's a great time to visit Brisbane and to see 
everything that's going on there. Um, yeah, so that's my next immediate project, but always um, lots of art writing, lots of conversations and all of this along the way as well. Oh, and I am doing some tutoring at QUT, so contributing back to um, students as well, which is actually really um, beautiful and meaningful as well. Well, so many different ways that, that you're going to be yeah, honing that, that criticality. I think that's... Um, I'm just imagining you sort of leaping across all these different <laughs> places, but also for those students to mm. have that benefit of your approach and where you will have been um, by then will be, will be really fantastic. Thanks for chatting with me. Thank I you feel, so much. Oh, I just feel like my, yes, my brain is very animated. We've just covered so much around not just, you know, publishing and, and curatorial practice, but I guess ultimately, you know, the, the, the ethics of, mm. of how we work and mm. how we choose to work and what comes next. Definitely. Mm. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Oh, likewise. Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations. <laughs>